All right. Come back in. That's great. So good. Well, hey, we are, um, we're gearing up for a few things over the next little while. So good to have you here. My name is Drew, by the way, if we haven't met. Um, just so thrilled that, and great to have you here. There is kids programs that start right at the beginning, uh, just, up, just up the hallway. We have the whole third floor here on Sundays. So just a reminder of that. And we're slowly getting ourselves back into just gathering and regathering. And so there's care for up to grade one right now with the hopes that as we continue to move forward to continue to kind of get back to where we were pre-pandemic. But uh, it's good to have you here. A couple things. One is next week is the first week, uh, first Sunday of the month. And with that, we're good. With that um, comes, uh, we're not going to be in this room next Sunday. We have a few Praxis communities that meet in homes throughout the city. And on the first of the month, we meet in those communities together. There's a live stream that goes out at 10 a.m. And we just take time to kind of wrestle through uh, teaching together and uh, some time together through kind of video form. And as well, most of the groups now kind of eat together, spend time together. So if you'd like to get connected with one, um, the, we have three going right now. The hope is to kind of, as some of those fill up, and some of them are, um, just to continue to pioneer new groups, cultivate new groups. So if you want to be involved with that, please let us know. It's this once a month rhythm we feel that's important uh, just as we turn face to, kind of in face to face and as church, you know, as we re-envision church post-pandemic, obviously uh, there's some things we've just been thinking through about what the church can become um, when you're not forced into just coming and watching a show. I know it's radical and subversive, but like this, this picture of God's people turning in and even this morning, we're going to kind of cultivate something that I think we can hopefully take into next week and give you time to discuss. It's been really good in our community the last couple of months, uh, just wrestling through that. So that we have that. Uh, good Friday, we're hiking together. So we're going to have three different hikes across the city. We'll take communion together. That will come uh, to your inbox if you're a part of Praxis Weekly with more details and how you can sign up for that. And then Easter is three weeks away. So three weeks from this Sunday, we'll be in here for a big party and just celebrating resurrection together. So excited about the days ahead and some of the things that are on the horizon. With all that said, we're going to jump right in. If you have a Bible, you can open with me to Galatians chapter 5. Basically, what we've been doing this fall is taking time to walk through the letter of Galatians kind of pretty slow, just taking deep breaths along the way, uh, looking at uh, the reality of what Paul is saying to this new, these new communities uh, in the ancient Mediterranean. And uh, Galatians is a beautiful letter that Paul writes just to instruct, instruct this community in how they're to live in light of some things going on around them. One of the major things is there are these kind of false teachers in Judaism. Uh, some are comfortable calling them Judaizers, who want to come in, infiltrate the church, and tell Gentile Christians that one of the ways that they, one of the things that they need to do to kind of enter into fellowship and come into house fellowship and table fellowship with other Christians is they basically have to enter into Jewish identity markers. And this is throwing the community for a tizzy. Even a guy named Peter, who you know from the Bible if you grew up in Sunday school, actually changes his opinion and stops eating with Gentiles because he thinks they need to kind of enter into the Jewish stuff to become part of the community. That's a problem. We know this a couple thousand years later, but what we're trying to do is plant ourselves 
deep within how they would respond and then ask questions around what does this mean for us? Because there's a lot of themes, including cruciform love and the idea of status that are just running through this letter that certainly we don't live in first century Galatia, right? But we do live in a moment where a lot of these things actually speak right to us. So, We're going to jump into Galatians 5 in a second, but just remember from last week that what Paul is doing here is he is actually really giving a subversive way in which, really one big subversive idea from chapter 4 that the community should grab a hold of. What he does is he begins to kind of, in a unique way, retell the story of the Exodus and the giving of the law right? This was huge for Israel, the Passover, and then 50 days later, they're at Sinai, God gives them the law, and this is working together in their story, and now Paul is retelling that story, but this time, as he tells it, there is no Torah, which for us may not mean a whole lot, but as he's retelling this, he is trying to get the imagination of the Jewish people within that community, and even as he writes to this community, to the Judaizers, to get them to see that something is changing, No Torah, but you get a picture that God is dwelling in the people's midst. They don't necessarily get a picture of Torah, but now the call is to live by the Spirit. And this is the picture we get. So, we wrestled last week, is religion a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends on how we frame that term, but one thing we know is certainly the practices can be good. A formed life in Jesus in his way is a beautiful thing, but we don't have to be bound by works of the law. That's not not so good. In a sense, what Paul is saying is we are free. We are free. Now, what does that mean, right? This is what Paul actually gets into. Remember, there's no chapter and verses here. He's just continuing on. Paul now is going to talk about freedom. Even look at verse 1 in chapter 5. It's for freedom. We know this, Sunday school kids, right? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So again, Paul echoing again, do not go back. Just as Israel complained in the wilderness and wanted to go back to Uh, Egypt and Pharaoh, think about that, 400 years of burdens, of being under the thumb of Pharaoh. They get into the wilderness, they're, they're struggling, this propensity to want to go back. Now Paul is saying to a new community of Jesus followers, do not go back. Don't be bound by this burden. So what, what do we do with this? Right? What do we do with this type of freedom that Paul talks about? Does this mean, brothers and sisters, that we get to do whatever the heck we want to do, right? There's a, there's a layer of this in the church community here. So you get to verse 13. Read with me. This is where we'll be for a couple minutes. Paul says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. So Paul, again, just like Jesus, distills it down. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, brothers and sisters, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh 
they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But, Paul says, if you are led by the Spirit, you, brothers and sisters, are not under the law. Now, fascinating here. I'm just going to be really one big point. This is fascinating. Because when we hear the word freedom, does this not ring a bell for our moment the last little while? I, anybody, anybody out there with me? The last two years have um, unpacked very much at a cultural level, especially in the Western world, a lot of talk about freedom around, you know, being forced to kind of be stuck in our homes, to being eventually having to wear masks, to somebody, you know, the, the, the impulse at, at times for people to say, my freedom has been taken away from me, the fight for freedom. It's interesting that uh, this has kind of evolved both in conservative and progressive ideologies. So on both sides kind of of the table, whether it's conservative or progressive, there has been a lot of talk about individual freedom, what freedom is, and how we live this out in our moment with all that's going on. And now, obviously, even the threat of war in Eastern Europe, there's just lots of talk about freedom. You know this in our own country the last little while, in kind of the, the storm to the capital, in the idea of, like, we need to be free citizens. Listen to what Paul does, though. This, I mean, this is... I know, like this is subversive and upside down, especially for those of us that follow Jesus, because listen to what Paul does. He ties freedom in Christ to what? And that's actually a question this morning. What does he do? He ties freedom in Christ to what? Anybody read the text with me? Loving your, are you here this morning? Loving your neighbor. Loving, so it's interesting Paul's connection to freedom is not the individual freedom that we t- like to lean into when we talk about certain, d- maybe even d- democracy or things, democratic things being taken away from us. When Paul talks about freedom, he is talking about love for neighbor. And actually, the context of what he's writing here in the letter very much does not have to do with an individual, but has to do with the community of people together this thing called the church, that would be this common community that would come together and be a voice to the world of what unity looks like. Now, N.T. Wright, I love how he kind of unpacks this because I think it's true. When he, he talks about the letter of Galatians, he's, he, and he said this, we get it wrong when we think that the basic target of Paul's writing here is to confront a couple things. Sometimes we think, because even in past teachings you've heard this, that we think that Paul is writing here simply to confront legalism right? Like a kind of soteriology where people attempt to earn their passage way to earn their passage towards heaven by performing good moral works. And we get that a little bit, and I understand the impulse of that because there's these things, these Jewish markers, including circumcision, which it sounds like what Paul is saying is, listen, you don't have to enter into that, so it has to do kind of with legalism. The other side, though, is that this letter is also not the target of libertines, he says, who think they are now in Christ, and because they're in Christ, they can do whatever the heck they want. There are hints of this, obviously, even in the passage that we read here, but Wright would argue, and I agree with him, and this is important, because it actually has implications for the church. Wright would argue that the whole legalist or libertine kind of debate did not really exist in Paul's world, if that makes sense. 
like the whole liberal side or the, sorry, the whole legalist side of trying to kind of lean into more rules, nor the libertine side was actually really a discussion for them. As much as Paul is arguing and believing that Jesus' followers are already children of Abraham, and that to get circumcised, because this was kind of one of the things, one of the threads to this, is to imply that the new messianic age has not after all been inaugurated. That this is what is before Paul. He's saying, man, if you enter into kind of these Jewish markers, you're missing out on the fact that this messianic age has come. If, if we had to enter into those things, Jesus wouldn't have had to have been crucified and raised from the dead and so on. You with me? I know it's a little heady. But just getting the major theme here is important because in context, there can be a danger that the Galatians are in danger of reproducing in the Christian community the multi-layered sociocultural uh, competition for status or worth that, that affected that culture and that community to its core. In a sense, what Paul is doing here is he is once again in his language when he talks about freedom helping the Christian community to guard themselves from status, from the, the sway of status in the ancient world that would have had people separated at the table with all sorts of status and background. And if you were a citizen in the Roman Empire, you had certain rights. And obviously now we have Jews and Gentiles entering into the same church and community, and he's trying to help them work this out. So this is why he connects freedom to others. It's about love for others and unity. He even says, if you bite, this is why the connection is, if you bite and you devour each other, watch out for it or you will destroy each other. This is the picture that Paul wants to give us. And so here we are in the Western world. What we do with Galatians is we pick it up and we sit down with our coffee with the Bible verse on it, which is totally cool, totally acceptable here. And we say things like, oh yeah, baby, I read this. I am free. I can do whatever I want, and my freedom is a, it's a personal thing. And Paul is basically saying that the Jesus movement is now marked by the spirit rather than the law, and when it comes to freedom, this idea of freedom has everything to do with us as a community. Love for neighbor, love for brother and, brother and sister, and this is actually a collective thing more than it is, it is an individual thing. You with me? Got that point a little bit? Okay. I'm going to fall? No, okay. Verse, verse uh, t- uh, 21 says this, the acts of the flesh are obvious. He goes on, read with me, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did f- before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's in the Bible, right there, verse 22. But the counteraction to this is the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, Paul again, envisioning a community marked by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. I like how one person said here that to live in united, yeah, to live united and in harmony, you need the spirit, not the law. This is what Paul is saying. Because what the spirit produces 
is not just the, you know, I don't know if you grew up like in Sunday school, and it's fine. We kind of separated the fruit. We would do like we would teach on one of the things each week, which is wonderful, and I think we need to teach our kids that. That's great. But it's interesting here as a package, what the Spirit produces, all of those fruit or fruits or whatever you want to call them of the Spirit, actually, you, you pick it up, it actually really has very little to do with those things producing just for ourselves. Like when you read the list and read it again, again, sometimes we slow down and unpack the list, it has everything to do with living for the sake of others. Individualism is crushed. And we say this all the time, if you've been around the teaching here for a while, we often poke at sometimes the problem that can come from reading the Bible solely through an individualistic lens, simply for ourselves, but what Galatians 5 actually helps us see is that reading it through, it's very hard to read it, read even the idea of freedom and counteracting kind of the flesh by living through the spirit. You can't do that through an individual lens. An individual reading of this should be dispelled. Basically what Paul is getting at is that a unified community should be living this out, the way of Jesus together in this moment in time and the same is for today. A unified community is what a divided world needs. The world needs the church, living together in unity. And that is what freedom means. Now, did you catch verse 25? What does Paul say? This is fascinating to me, verse 25. He says, since we live by the Spirit, then what? Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Isn't that fascinating? So it's not like, um, I, I always think of the, the Robaxacin commercial with the guy who's like being, you know, the, what, what do we call those things? Anybody? You know, the, like, the like, little puppets? Yeah, the mar- what do you call them? Marionettes, yeah. Did I say that right? Marionettes. Marionettes. Well, you know the guy, the, the strings are being pulled and he moves and then he has back pains. just like, great commercial. A lot of us, this is our posture towards God. We're waiting for God to kind of pull the strings, Right? and sometimes forget, and I love the language that Paul uses, that as a community living in freedom, we live in step with the Spirit, that we actually partner with the Holy Spirit. So to close, and before we come to the tables, an illustration that will absolutely fall short, okay? So uh, I grew up on this thing called Madden on uh, video games. Any Madden players? And there's a couple Madden, Madden guys here. And I remember the day of playing Madden when I first realized that there was this option when playing this video game, it's basically NFL football in video game form, that there was an Ask Madden mode, that you could literally go into this thing and it would give you the plays to pick with one button. You asked Madden, you basically did what it told you to do. And that has always been a picture of what I think, and it falls short certainly, But I think, you know, as I think about the Christian life, I think about what Paul is getting at here when he talks about freedom and the corporateness of it, but then walking by the Spirit. I can't help but think of my Madden days when I was given the option to do the Ask Madden mode as a help. And the picture we get of the Spirit is, the the actual word for the Holy Spirit is parakaleo. In that world, it was a vision of somebody coming alongside of you, literally a counselor coming alongside. This is the picture Paul gives of what the Spirit does. And as the counselor moves in work, just like Ask Madden, you've got to, and we as a community have to work with it. We have to live and walk by the Spirit. We have to keep in step with the Spirit. 
This, my friends, is not disconnected from what freedom is. We're free. We're not bound by the works of the law. Paul makes that very clear. But it's not just about uh, watch legalism or watch how much you're liberated. What Paul is getting at is a whole new vision of the world where King Jesus, the Messiah, has come and we live completely counterculture. Can you do what you want? Can you do whatever the heck you want? Sure, I, I guess, but... I, f- I always find it funny that when we get to that verse, this is kind of the question we have around freedom. Hey, can I, like, can I, I remember in youth ministry, it's like, can I do this and can I do that? You know, like these questions. And I understand as humans, we have certain types of questions, but I also think that's totally missing the point. Paul would even get in the letter, get down in the letter and basically say, circumcision is not the point. It's about freedom that draws love for neighbor. And it's about a life and a community that is living in step the Spirit. And so this is our prayer as a community, that we would be people that would walk in step with the Spirit. And as we come to the table to kind of close our time together, may it be a reminder, this, this, what Paul is saying here, a reminder to us that the Spirit is accessible, available. I think about the global church today around the world, that the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead not only lives within us, but offers us life in the spirit. It's incredible. And so the call really, as we move to the tables, is just a reminder to receive the Holy Spirit. And as a community, I think it's asked us deeper questions around being moved and walking in step with the Spirit as he leads and guides us. This, brothers and sisters, is what what freedom is. This is what freedom is to Paul. Not just my individual rights and my individual moments in Canada where I'm so blessed with so many different things. Don't get me wrong, it's amazing. It's actually deeper than that for those who participate in the church. A sense of freedom is what Jesus has done for us and calling us into life with him. And so, Holy Spirit, I just pray that as we uh, respond, as we worship, as we celebrate, and as we come to the table, I just pray that this would be reality for us. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing deep within us. I pray as we step out and we take the bread and cup this morning as a symbol of your love and grace for us, that you would move and work. Open our hearts and lives to the so many in our community that are just longing, God, for more of you. May it be found in your freedom, in your work here within, God, this community. I pray these things in your name, Jesus, knowing you're good. Amen.